Welcome to the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Each week on the podcast, you'll hear stories and tactics from experts and influencers who will provide you with actionable steps to transform your business and your life. I'm your host, Larissa McClemon, and I help salon owners move from stress and overwhelm to lead a life of freedom and profit by implementing a strategic framework to grow and scale their business. So wherever you are in the world, I want to officially invite you to join me in this episode and make an important step in your journey towards more freedom and more profit. The hair and beauty industry has had an undeniably huge shakeup. Salons that were once thriving and growing are having to adjust considerably to suit the new industry climate. The lifestyle effect is fully at large. Nobody wants to work late nights and Saturdays anymore. It's like team are more demanding than ever and we're worried that if we don't give in to their demands, they'll leave. And then if we do give in, we'll end up back on the floor 50 hours a week or more and you'll be left feeling resentful. Sure, they can have the lifestyle they want, but does yours have to suffer? It's a total double-edged sword. Like all of a sudden, you're tackling a whole new kettle of fish when it comes to managing and keeping your team. This is why I want to introduce you to my two good friends, James and Lyndon, owners of Vivo Hair and Skin Clinics. Now, if there's anyone who is making it work against all of the odds, for the most part completely unscathed, well, it's these two. With over 90 salons nationwide, they have their finger on the pulse and are implementing the big rock strategies that salon owners need, harnessing the new norm of the industry and doing so successfully. Even post-pandemic, pre-recession, James and Lyndon are reaching success. They're on a mission to reach 100 sites by the end of the year. That's 20 more from where they were last year. Let's hear it for the boys from Vivo, what they have to say about the industry and team in particular. Lyndon and James, thank you so much for joining me on the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. It's really nice to have you back. Thanks, Lucy. It's nice to be here. So uh, this is, I think, the third, maybe even the fourth time that we've got together and discussed all things hair and beauty. Uh, but for those that haven't met you before, why don't we start with, well, who the heck are you? Uh, where do you come from? Where do you live? What do you do? And how did you get to be doing that? Give us a little bit of a high level of who you guys are. Uh, so my name's James Carlisle. I live in Auckland um, and uh, I'm uh, a business partner of Lyndon here. And uh, Lyndon and I have been in business for many, many years um, in a number of different businesses. But for the last 12 years, we've been focused on hair and beauty. Uh, and we founded Vivo Hair Salons, uh, Vivo Hair and Skin Clinics. And currently we've got about 90, somewhere between 90 and 100 I know we don't have 100 because we're really looking forward to getting to 100 sites, but um, <laughs> we're, we're in the nervous 90s, I suppose you'd say. Uh, so we're in the, in, in the 90s um, as far as salon locations. We're not a franchise. Uh, we own all of our own salons, um, which means that the Vivo team is really is a team. Um, and we, we all work together. And uh, uh, yeah. I think that's this. Um, Lyndon, over to you. Yeah, so um, I'm also based in Auckland. And uh, as James said, we've been in business a long time together. I think uh, almost 17 years now, we've uh, been in business of, of one form or another. And uh, so, yeah, we, we kind of stumbled into the hair industry almost by accident um, back in 2011. And, uh, you know, kind of really fell in love with it. You know, the thing I always tell people is, is that, 
um, when I first got into the industry, I was, I was quite cynical when I'd interview people and ask them why they're hairdressers. And they would tell me because they love making people feel amazing. And, and I used to think that was just a, uh, a, a, an interview answer <laughs> that they didn't believe. But the more I got into the industry, the more I realized that is the truth. That's why people do what, what we do. And um, yeah, I've, I've come to realize how amazing it is, how special to be in an industry and have a business where everyone in our business comes to work every day thinking of ways about how to make other people feel amazing. And uh, yeah, there's not too many things that you could do that, that give you that buzz. So very, very happy to be here. Yeah. Amazing. I love that. So before we sort of step into talking about all things hair and beauty, um, you both came from prior to 2011, uh, having multiple retail locations, but in the eye wear yeah, department that's right so we had a group of optometry practices um uh, in a former life i used to be an optometrist uh, many years ago now um and yeah so it's um surprising because most people think it's so different from hairdressing but you know essentially it is the same it's really about making a connection one person in a room as an optometrist with a client or a patient um you know taking a, a history, trying to find ways to, to improve that person's life and, and then offering solutions. So, you know, from that aspect, it's very similar. It's about people and it's about connections. So, yeah. Yeah, so my, my wife is also an optometrist and that's how uh, Lyndon and I met was uh, uh, my wife, Sarah, went to university with Lyndon um, and they both trained to be optometrists together. Love it. Mm. So... Um, it's been many years now, and we spoke roughly a year ago um, on the podcast, and I think about that time you were approaching the 80 mark, you were sort of racing towards the 80 salons, and now you're racing towards uh, the 100 mark. You know you've got a lot of salons when you don't know exactly how many you've got in any given moment. <laughs> I used to feel like that when I, I had a big team, or you're sort of 27, 30, and I thought at any given moment I couldn't remember quite how many I had because someone was always leaving and arriving. And yes, so I, I wonder right. if it's a little bit like that. Um, let's talk about the things that have changed uh, really a lot in the last 12 months. And one of the problems, the biggest problem of topic and conversation at the moment is being able to staff our businesses, whether that's because people are leaving the industry or whether, whether that's because they're just absent um, with sickness and various things. This has really changed the whole environment as a business owner in the hair and beauty industry of what we focus on and how much time we spend, what we're spending our time doing. Um, we're really becoming HR, you know, good at HR departments. So I, I would love to hear from your perspective, um, what has changed and how has it impacted business um, and what are you doing to kind of overcome this new environment? Uh, well, you know, I think that um, socially it is just so unacceptable now to go to work or go out when you've got a cold. You know, if, if you're coughing or sneezing um, or, you know, just by any of those symptoms, uh, people know that they have to stay home. Um, and so when you're a hairdresser or, or you're in any kind of client-facing industry, um, it, it means that you're going to be at work less uh, because the you know, the old take a codrill and soldier on, that, that just uh, it doesn't cut it anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're, we're operating businesses in, in an environment now where uh, you know that tomorrow you could have 
you know, half your workforce ring in and say they're sick. Um, and you can't, you can't beg them to come in. You can't coerce them. You know, you've just got to accept it um, because that's the nature of the world that we live in now. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of headwinds, I think, for hairdressing uh, businesses and, and not just hairdressing, but any kind of client-facing business. So optometry would be the same. Um, and the issue is that... Uh, you know, with our borders having been closed for so long, we, we haven't had um, we haven't had international hairdressers come into New Zealand. Uh, with uh, with the vaccine mandates, um, we lost. You know, the the um, hairdressing workforce in general lost a lot of hairdressers who chose not to get vaccinated. Uh, and and then of course we we have. Um, uh, the disruption to training, you know, to apprenticeship training and uh, graduates over the last couple of years. Um, so, and then you've got in the whole of New Zealand, unemployment is at record lows. Um, so it's really, you know, there's so much choice for people of where to work. Um, and we're seeing that people are leaving the workforce, maybe because they don't want to be in such a client-facing industry anymore they want to be somewhere where they can be a bit more isolated or I think a lot of people actually like the idea of being able to work from home in these times so you put all those factors together and it's almost a perfect storm isn't it um, yeah, and that's sure. the environment that we're working in yeah that's right yeah I, I think we're you know even from a year ago um, the, the, the world is a different place and, and people's expectations mm. are, are different and yeah you know I, I think the hairdressing industry in particular has been yeah really affected because what it's done is it's kind of exposed the fact that um our pipeline of, of stylists into the industry our training systems have actually been broken for some time and we can say they're broken because if you look around new zealand right now the number one problem facing uh, hair salon owners is a lack of staff and, and if we had great pipelines and systems um, that were working, that wouldn't be the case. Um, so I, I think we, we've kind of uh, exposed that problem. Um, and then, as James said, we, we've lost people who um, have decided that, you know, being in the hairdressing salon is, is not a nice place to be at the moment with, with COVID and masks and uh, lots of people coming in the door. Uh, and then the other thing we noticed was that during COVID, a lot of people did a lot of reevaluating. Um, about what was important to them, about um, priorities with family and work-life balance and even location where they live in New Zealand. A lot of people want to live in places that perhaps are a bit more um, COVID-proof or pandemic-proof for future. Um, so there's just been a lot of change, a lot of people making decisions to change their lives, and uh, that's impacted on, on you know, employers all over New Zealand. Yeah, for sure. And I think the same... Uh, perfect storm is like you said James which I think is a really good example when all of those things collide at the same time um, and there's no feed-in of people to populate um, this is not unique to New Zealand and this is the same thing happening in Australia and uh, the US and the UK uh, just at slightly different timelines depending on how individual countries are dealing with different things uh, and the training aspect and whatnot but um, 
it certainly is a perfect storm worldwide. So what does a company like yours that owns 90 plus salons, like how do you overcome this? How do you change and pivot and, and what has been the shift in thinking or even the shift in the way that you operate? I think, um, I'm sorry, I was going to say one of, one of the keys has to be a, a flexible mindset. You know, one of, one of the big things that we uh, have always championed is this idea that um, hairdressing is a, a career and a job that requires flexibility. There's, there's no rigidity in it. And so as an employer, you know, we, we've had to be a lot more um, willing to, to consider other options. We have to be more hungry about looking to create an environment where people want to spend their time. Because, you know, at the end of the day, one thing that COVID has done is, is it's made people very familiar with the insides of their homes. And um, a lot of people want to get out, but they want to get out to places that they enjoy being. And, you know, that that's really important is that uh, you, you put that focus on making sure that the salon environment is a positive one, one where they're enjoying coming to work. And, and that will try and keep as many people as, as you can. Um, and then it's about looking at, you know, complete pipeline training systems to figure out how do you find the next generation of stylists to fill the gaps and go from there. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we've made a lot of changes. Um, one, one thing is we have a huge focus on uh, apprentices. So, you know, we've always had apprentices, uh, but um, we've got a lot more now and, and we've got much better systems um, for helping them get through their apprenticeship quickly and get onto the floor. Um, so that's been ramping up steadily ever since COVID first hit in 2020. And um, uh, for last month, for example, we had eight or nine apprentices hit the floor as, as stylists. And that's pretty, um, that, that's pretty much the norm now. Um, so we, we're beginning to see uh, that our investment in apprentices um, a year, 18 months ago, is really paying off now with more of them hitting the floor. Um, so we, we've had, as an organisation, we've had a huge, um, we, we've made a big commitment to growing our own hairdressers. Um, and we see that as the way forward. You know, it gives us more control over um, uh, over our staffing levels. It means that It means that we're not at the risk of, the government closing the borders on us or um, or not doing what we want them to in terms of immigration. Um, so so that, that's a big change. And um, yeah, and, and as Linda talked about, we, we are um, also being more flexible, you know, for our existing um, stylists. And uh, yeah, and, and um, you know, we're even looking at, you know, the way that we train staff. So we've employed more people to um, develop material and resources. Yeah, so, so basically growing our own and trying to control the things we can control, you know, instead of just being at the mercy of, of the random wind. Hey, I just wanted to pop in to tell you something. Don't worry, we're going to get back to this awesome episode in just a second. Now, if this sounds like you, listen up. You have a team. You love your team, but you're sick of wondering why and wishing your team would make their sales targets. You want them to be smashing sales because it shows that they're actually looking after their clients really well. 
Like imagine if you could have a way to make more from the clients that you already have, increase sales without spending more on advertising. Well, it's totally possible and I want to help you. And I want to help you do it with ease, in a classy way. No hard and dirty sales tricks here. Ways to serve your clients, make more, because everybody wins. The team, the client, and of course, you, the business owner. Now, if you want to find out more, just DM me uh, and let's chat. I'll make a plan for you. I'm also going to leave a link for you on the show notes of this episode. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, yeah, um, I love that. I think um, being flexible over the last two and a half years is probably any business owner has had to adopt this sort of flexibility and change and be prepared to pivot and shift and do things differently that we've never done before. Mm. I certainly agree with the grow your own model. I think it is the future and we have to be prepared to, uh, I guess, invest first. Like any investment, you invest first and you have to live through the gap until you get the return. There's not many things that you invest in and get an instant return. And I think sometimes we forget that, especially Mm. in the hair and beauty industry. You know, we're used to, um, you know, you spend an hour and a half or two hours with someone and you get an instant result. And uh, we're used to this instant gratification kind of a world. And so we forget sometimes that we've got to do the long haul and invest now. And like you were saying, you know, 18 months or so, and you start to to reap the reward. And I think that's something that um, I've certainly been speaking to and teaching to is like, we need to get these people income generating in the three to six month mark of arriving in a business. Because this is sitting around sweeping the floor like they did when I did my apprenticeship. Um, We're going to lose good people from this industry. Do you know, they yeah. need they need instantly to feel like there's future and progression and moving forward. Um, it's very and, hard, and though, then, isn't it? For, for an independent um, hair salon to employ apprentices, it's very hard for them because um, if, if, if you look at our business, for example, and we have uh, 150 apprentices and some of them make a poor decision, decide to quit or move or whatever the decision is that takes them out of our salon then the six months or a year that we've invested is wasted you know and and we and and it and we we can live with that because we've got enough that it's it's just part of the cost of doing it right but if you're an independent and you've only got one apprentice and you've invested a year into that apprentice and then they decide to follow their boyfriend to surface paradise then you're you're gutted and you've got to start again. But of course, you don't want to start again because you've just been burned. Yeah. Uh, and and so I, I I really sympathize with those uh, small business owners who make those investments in apprentices and they don't ever get to see the fruit of that. And and I've I've talked to people in other industries and it's exactly the same. You know, builders who try and have building apprentices, plumbers, you know, anyone who employs apprentices and tries to train them it's always a bit of a gamble whether or not they'll complete the apprenticeship and provide I, I agree them. with this I agree with this I do think we need to um, think a little bit bigger or wider beyond putting so much weight onto one 17 year old I feel like this is like this is we're setting ourselves up to fail when we we go right you're the one and in three years now I see the future for you and and 
all of our future of our business is laid on this one 17-year-old who has no idea really what they're going to do in their life. And like you say, their boyfriend moves and the next minute they're off too. So yes. I think we need to be have systems and processes that are stronger than that, that one, we can get them income generating faster so they're paying for themselves right? Because we don't have the luxury to sit around and wait till they return. <laughs> like we need that return on investment faster. Yeah. Um, and as much as we can, we need to, it's like a, we need a three-legged stool, not a one-legged stool. I think we're, right. too, we're too much on a one-legged stool and, and it's, it, we need to think a little bit wider and it's expensive to do that. It's expensive to invest in more than one person uh, and at a it time. Is. But it I think is. it's... Yeah. It also requires a complete mind shift of the entire salon team. You know, that's one thing we yes. found about our shift to apprenticeships is that we've got some salons who, um, you know, are, are basically putting out apprentices at a, at a great rate and that they're turning into on-the-floor stylists um, of really high quality and they're doing that fast um, because they have cottoned on to the system of, of how to generate income from the apprentices while still progressing their training. Um, yeah. And they've also bought into the idea that they've got this apprentice for a, a, a good time, not a long time. Yeah. Um, and in other situations, we have salons that just haven't had that. They either don't trust the apprentice, so they don't give them work that could generate extra income, or they hold them back at a level um, that uh, frustrates the apprentice and, and causes them to go and either find a different opportunity yeah. or, um, you know, or, or leave the industry altogether. And so, you know, it, it's one thing to decide, yes, we need to train some more staff and we need to uh, develop an apprenticeship model that, that works financially, but it, it really does require getting the whole team on board um, and yes. making sure everyone knows what the goals are. Everyone's aware of the time frame that this person's there for X number of months, and then you expect to see this sort of level of progression, uh, and just making everyone accountable for that because you know it is a generational thing. You talked about instant um, gratification. No one wants to wait. Um, you know, no young person wants to wait two years before they can pick up a pair of scissors or, or yeah. touch a client's hair. And and I, I had a conversation with a salon owner just uh, probably within the last year who who proudly told me that her apprentices don't get to. Uh, talk to clients for the first year and I was just thinking um I, I don't think you're going to keep your apprentices very long if that's your no. Um, so, no. Yeah, requires a complete change yeah and I think we need to change the model of how we serve our clients I think in 2022 and beyond this one-to-one -one model of one client to one client uh, one team member to one client I think those days are behind us I think we can't afford that level of uh, well, that that shape anymore. We need to think quite a little bit more dynamically about how we employ people at different pieces of the process, so we can future proof. I think it's a must. Um, it's we put ourselves at too much risk in this one-to-one -one relationship between client and stylist. Um, yeah, it's not going to serve us in the long run. And look, that's something that we're seeing in the in the market at the moment. Is um, there are salons who are desperate for staff, and so they're making. Uh, decisions um, because of that desperation. You know, yes. they're offering offering people, um, you know, Monday to Crazy Fridays or, or, or five, you know, nine till three kind of hours that the clients don't want to come. Or like you said, they're, they're paying them um, really, really high incomes that can't be returned. So what's basically happening is salon owners are, are going to spend all their time and, and blood, sweat and tears 
basically just to be able to pay their staff and not, not get their fair share. Um, and, and, you know, I can understand that, that desperation, but it's setting them up for long-term failure because if, you, if you've got a, a model that's not financially viable, if, if you are paying yourself $5 an hour and paying them $40 an hour, then that can only last for so long before, before yeah. uh, the consequences come home. It sets in all sorts of resentment as for the owner as well. You know, we, this is when we get burnout, resentment, frustration at our business because we're working hard and when there's no return. Um, too many people come in that I have the opportunity to talk with aren't even paying themselves the salary for the work that they're doing on the floor as if they had a, had a job. Um, like you could earn more working at the salon down the road and not having all the headache and the heartache of having to recruit and employ and pay rent and all of the things. Um, and so, I don't know, somewhere we got our, got our priorities upside down a little bit. Well, look, I, I think when a salon owner is desperate for staff, that's, that's the only problem, that, that's the biggest problem in their vision. You know, that's, that's what they can see and they, they just, they're desperate, they'll do whatever. Um, and it might, you know, so, so they might... Um, yeah, it's a short-term solution, but it creates a long-term problem. And the, An the industry of, problem. Yeah, and the number of salons that we've had approach us you know, because they're unprofitable, because the owner is burnt out, and then we look at them and we find that you know, the staff have been paid um, you know, a, a vast amount, um, more than the salon can profitably handle, yeah, and we have to walk away because yeah. we've, we've found that you know, when we buy a salon, um, most of the time, uh, the staff in those salons, they will earn more with Vivo because of our commission structure, because of the things that we offer. But on some, some occasions, we find that particular situation where the, the staff are being paid such ridiculous amount. And sometimes, and this happened quite recently, they get paid in a really creative way to try and cheat the tax man. So that instead of having to pay tax on everything, you know, they're getting a bit of a backhand or under the table and there's some dodgy stuff going on. And the staff, you know, seem they just take it. That's great. More money for them. And but the business owner that I, I mean, they're putting themselves at such risk uh, yeah. for doing that. But it also means that for us, you know, we, we can't buy that salon. You know, we can't even it's just it's not going to work because we have to yeah. pay. You know, we've got to follow the law. We've got to follow the rules. And um, and we've found that you can't buy a salon and then give people less money, you know, because <laughs> they, they, no. they, they just <laughs> they'll don't be out. They'll be no. out. They'll, they'll, be, they'll be looking for somewhere else immediately. So uh, fortunately, it doesn't happen that often. But when it does happen, um, we, yeah, we look at those salons and we know that they're not long for this world. Um, and, and we have seen many of those salons, they, they just... They, they just close, you know, and the staff disappear and, 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 uh, and yeah, it seems to end in tears. Um, yeah. I think that's something that COVID's really brought home is, is that because there is such a shortage of stylists and, and it is such a tough market, you know, situations where it's win-lose from a pay structure point of view, either the, the salon owner's winning because they're paying them not very much or the employee's winning because they're getting paid too much that the salon owner can't afford. Those are, like James said, short-term solutions that, uh, that end in big long-term problems. So it really is about examining pay structures and, and finding 
a fair one in which both parties can win, where performance yeah. is rewarded in a way that's absolutely fair for the effort put in, um, yeah. but that the salon owner is not going hungry to, to keep the doors open because that doesn't work. I, I feel like, you know, in desperate situations, we're offering rewards and perks like letting our children eat dessert first. And the problem is when you've had your dessert, you're not going to eat the broccoli, you know? And so people, there's a mismatch in we've set them up to fail. Why would you work harder when you're already getting dessert and you don't need to eat the veggies? So I think we need, but then I think, you know, as the owner, our responsibility is to show them one, that veggies are good for you. And if you do the work, you get the, get the dessert and give them the steps. And I think too often as the owner, we don't know how to get the high performance out of the people so they can get the high pay and the high reward. Like there is a way that we can have a win-win. Um, we just, as an owner, you need to work out how do I teach my people and lead them to so they can earn $30 and $40 an hour or whatever the numbers are um, yeah. and have a re rewarding career. But it's up to us. I think too often people say, your, your goal is $3,000 and I'll pay you heaps. Go out there and do it. Good luck. I hope you're doing well. Oh, what do you mean you're not you're not performing? Oh, that's right. I forgot to teach you. <laughs> yeah, and, and it requires two things, isn't it? It requires input from your staff as to what they want from life, you know, what they want from the salon, what they want financially. Uh, and then, like you said, it's about investing in training to make sure that they can see how they can take steps to get there themselves. So they, they need to feel like they're in control that they have the ability to do these things um but then you know it's backed up by information and support those are really the key fundamentals if you just tell someone like you said go and go and earn three thousand dollars a week for the salon if it's questions what why and then how and uh, if you can't yeah. answer those things then uh, you, you've got a problem that's right that's right yeah. all right i'm i'm aware that um it's been a long time since we've really had a, um, well, inflation is rising and we're due a recession, apparently, because there's a cycle of recessions and, and we're a little bit overdue for that. And, you know, as you said, James, we're sort of in this perfect storm for things to be a little bit rocky in the industry now. And I know that people are starting to worry as inflation goes up, prices go up, things are getting more expensive. I'm already paying my team too much. If we have a recession, uh, what is this going to look like? Any thoughts kind of around prepping, uh, the mindset around going into that, uh, just to sort of relieve the fear that people are feeling? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it's um, one of the key things that comes up in these sort of times is the concept of value, you know, and, and value is a really tricky thing because what's value to me and what's value to James and what's value to you, Larissa, are completely different things. And, and it's some sort of uh, magical individual combination between price and experience um, and, and the results. And, and when it comes to hair salons, you know, it's very easy to make the mistake to think that people are paying for the results, um, whereas they're actually paying for the, the experience, the emotions um, and, and prices, you know, for most people, uh, a part of that but how big a part of that it is varies from person to person so you know i think what these times make us do is, is try and look at our salon's value proposition and figure out where do we need to put our energy and our attention um some salons might trade on price you know they just want to be 
cheap. They want to be the, the place where you go when, when money's the, the, the number one consideration, in which case you have to make sure that your price is sharp enough that, that people choose you for that. Other places um, can't afford to, to trade on being cheap. So they have to look at their entire delivery of that service and say, are we giving the experience that justifies the price that we're going to charge? Um, our response has been to uh, implement price rises because, you know, uh, our staff, um, at least 75% of our staff each week earn their, hit their commission targets and earn commission. And so for them to not be affected by inflation, they have to earn more on commission than they did a year ago. And, yeah. and the way that we can help them is one, let's find more clients together. Um, and two, we need to charge those clients more and, and structure your day more efficiently to see the most people that you can um, to get the most bang for your buck. So yeah, you really do have to go back to basics and, and look at every aspect of, of your service delivery and, and find ways to make sure you're adding value if you're going to put your price up. Yeah, I think it's very important that um, prices go up because you know, if you're in an inflationary environment, that means that your petrol costs more, means your cup of coffee costs more, it means that the bread you buy from a supermarket costs more. So if you're a hairdresser, well, it's not fair that you should pay more for everything else, but your clients aren't paying more to see you. I mean, that's mm. that's not fair. And and eventually, of course, um, all hairdressers will put up their price because that will eventually happen. So what I think is don't be the last one to do it. You know, get in early. Do it now, you know, so that you can pay the higher price for your coffee. You know, um, don't be the last in the cycle. You know, you yeah. don't necessarily want to be the first either, but you just want to get in, you know, with the first quarter, I suppose. So to you know, anyone watching, if you found that you're paying more for coffee lately and you haven't put your prices up, get on with it. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's actually our responsibility as a business owner to do that so we can protect the livelihoods of our team. Because if we don't, we're actually forcing more people out of the industry. It's our responsibility to provide an environment that they can charge more so they can earn more. Um, and and say, this is a great industry to be part of. And yeah. I love being here, but it, but I can pay my rent and, and I can drink coffee. Yeah, And, and really, that's our approach and with with. With what's happening now, with um, with inflation at, at such high levels, and with you know the great resignation of people leaving, I mean, at, probably if you boil our approach down to one thing, it's we're just trying to get, we're trying to put ourselves in a position where we can pay our staff more because the more they're earning, the the less, the more protected they'll be against price rises, and the more they're earning. Uh, the the less likely it is that they'll be unsatisfied, you know, with their careers, right. and their jobs, and they'll stay in the industry and stay working for Viva. Yeah. With uh, another way to look at that would be to say that if that if your staff are earning the same as they were two years ago, um, they're actually had about a ten percent pay cut because yeah, they have yeah. more expensive. So yeah, um, yeah, that's not sustainable. No, and we one one great thing about. COVID, you know, there's not many great things about COVID, but one one good thing was was that after lockdowns, we all saw just how much demand yes. there were for hairdressing services. So we we know that actually our clients do value what we do. You know, they they the two things they were desperate for after lockdown was what KFC 
and a haircut. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I agree with you. I do feel like as an industry, we uh, the way that the consumer perceives us has certainly risen and mm-hmm. to our benefit. And so I think we need to rise to the occasion. And one of those things is um, put our prices up, but really serve people well. Um, right. As business owners, what do you think is a, a quote or a mantra or something that like one keeps you two aligned as, as leaders together in a partnership, but has kept your brand focused and forward thinking? Uh, one, of, one of my favorites that we share with our senior senior managers is, um, do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? And um, I think very okay. often uh, as, as salon owners or, or managers, um, you know, your staff will come to you with, with an issue and it's very easy to try and be right. Um, but the outcome of that is often disgruntlement and unhappiness. And, and it's about accepting that there's always more than one one right answer to any given question. And it's about saying, what are you actually trying to achieve and what's going to be the best response or way to get that um, get that thing to happen? So it's not always about being right. It's about being effective. And uh, it's also quite useful. That. Also quite useful when you're married. <laughs> <laughs> Good tip. <laughs> um, all right. What is a, a book, a podcast, some kind of resource that you believe all salon owners should get their hands on? Um, one book that I'm reading at the moment by uh, Susan Fowler is called um, Why Motivating uh, People Doesn't Work. Um, <laughs> and um, luckily she also says and tells you what does. Um, and yeah, it's just the psychology behind um, how to get people to come to work and feel like they can give their best and want to give their best. Um, and it's not about uh, money. It's not about bonuses and incentives. It's about creating the right environment. So it's a great book. Love it. Um, yeah, the book I, I would say is I've recently read um, Life Force by Tony Robbins. Um, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a book about health, maintaining optimal health for as long as possible. And probably my, my thing uh, that, that I would say for a business owner is you've got to look after your own health. Um, and a very important part of that is just getting enough sleep um, every night and, and eating well. But if, if your health is um, compromised, then everything else in your life will just get a lot harder. Um, so mm. I, I think um, uh, this particular book that I've read is very good, but there's a lot of different books you know, out there about health and nutrition and, and sleep. And I, I just think it's very important that business owners, particularly ones that are under a lot of stress, that they um, take the time to look after themselves first because when you're, when you're feeling unwell or you're not sleeping, or you're stressed and you're not exercising, when, when your physical well-being is compromised, then whatever struggles you have with your business are going to seem 10 times worse because uh, what, what affects yeah, your, your health affects your mind and yeah. your, mind, your mindset seriously affects the way that you're going to approach your business. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that um, for sure. Um, all right. Great. I'm going to put the show, the link to both of those in the show notes of this podcast so we can find the book, read the book, listen to the book, whatever works. Um, guys, I really appreciate your insights. It's really great to sort of chew the fat over the industry. I know people are going to want to find you, stalk you, maybe sell their businesses to you. Um, <laughs> what's your dub dub and your social? Where, where can people find you? 
uh, easiest way to find me is just linden at vivo.co.nz or on LinkedIn, Lyndon Mason. Yeah, um, and I'm on LinkedIn and uh, yeah, james at vivo.co.nz. And the business is vivo.co.nz, right? That's right, vivo. Perfect. All right. Um, appreciate you both. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. And that's a wrap, James and Lyndon. I always love catching up with you two and chatting all things and sharing perspective on the industry. I think with the ever-changing environment that we're in and the culture changes that salon owners are dealing with, I think it's super important that we have our finger on the pulse. We want to ensure that you have enough systems in place to allow you to be flexible and progress with the ever-changing state of the industry so you can keep your team motivated, your business moving forward. But of course, without sacrificing your own happiness or freedom as the salon CEO. If you're after some help on how to move past some of the challenges that maybe you're having in your business and maybe that your business is facing, well, let's chat. Maybe we're a good fit to work together. I'm going to suggest that you click the apply button in the show notes of this episode and uh, let's get together and have a chat. You can tell me about what's happening in the business and let's see if we're a good fit. As always, I look forward to connecting with you same time, same place next week on the podcast. Ciao for now. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the podcast. Tune in every week as I reveal the latest insights and advice on what it takes to truly master your inner salon CEO and master your salon success. Subscribe to the Salon Owners Collective podcast on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at www.salonownerscollective.com. But make sure to join me in my Facebook group for answers to common questions and much, much more. Thanks for listening and I look forward to tuning in with you again next week.